know why? Because bad things happen in Philadelphia. Bad things. What's up, you beauties? Welcome to episode number eight of season three of High and Wide Radio. I'm Jim here as always with Kyle and Jack. Make sure you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or the Full Press Coverage app available in your app store. Before we get to the episode, I want to tell you guys about Manscaped real quick, guys. If you're like me, you've been dying for a better way to take care of your ball sack. Manscaped provides these ways for guys like you and me with their precision trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0. This thing is sleek, it's sexy, and smooth, just like your nuts will be when you're done using this product. When you're Spritz a little bit of the ball spray on there. Keeps your balls feeling fresh throughout your day. Manscaped has it all. Do us a favor and head over to manscaped.com. Use your code HW at checkout to earn 20% off your order. You'll be happy. We'll be happy. Your significant other will be happy. And now, with no further ado and mentions of ball sacks, let's introduce our very special guest from NBCS Philly. Reporter, web producer, covers the Flyers. Mr. Jordan Hall. Jordan, thanks for hanging out with us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man. We're we're so stoked to have you on. So stoked to talk some Flyers hockey with you. I mean, we're kind of sitting in like the void right now, like purgatory. We're not sure if there's going to be a season. Feels like forever since there's been hockey, even though what it's what's it been, like a month or two now? Yeah, it, it, for me, it, I don't know about you guys, but it kind of reminds me of kind of the – the heart of the stoppage before the return to play, like just a lot of wait and see kind of unknowns. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can wait it out and hopefully the, the wait will be worth it. Yeah. Like if this was regular, um, regular off season, we'd be in what, like August, you're right. Like, like training camps usually starts in September. Uh, we're looking at a potential December players return to training camp type thing. And so, Let's just dive right into this topic here. We have Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly came out with, what was it, like a conference call or something last week where he talked about a potential start date. And there's still, you know, and I want to, you can't really see that I'm doing quotations there if you're listening, but, you know, they're eyeing January 1st. What do you think? You think that's realistic or you think they're just throwing a date out there and seeing what kind of happens on the fly? Yeah, I think January. I think January first is realistic, and I think part of the reason why they they're circling January one is because obviously they the NHL typically does something pretty special on New Year's Day in terms of the Winter Classic and um, doing something outdoorsy type of thing. Uh, so maybe they feel like that will be a very fun ceremonial way to kind of kick off the season. January first, New Year. Um, is it set in stone? No, I don't think so. I think uh, this is very subject to change. Uh, they're going to wait and see how things develop, um, just like they did before the start, the restart of the 2019-20 season. It was very much subject to change. You got to see kind of how COVID-19 um, develops and evolves uh, as we, you know, get into these colder months. So I think anywhere in between, uh, between January, I think is what they're kind of shooting for. I think some type of January start, um, and I think the the perfect plan would be January one. Okay. Uh, do you see like any, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of asking you to predict the future here, but do you see any issues with players uh, leaving their families during this time? I mean, it's kind of right 
during the holidays, you could say, like right smack in the middle of, you know, the United States Thanksgiving and obviously Christmas and, and Hanukkah for, you know, any of these guys. They have to leave their families in the middle of the holidays to go to training camp to get ready for a season in the middle of a pandemic again. Do you foresee any issues coming or do you think it's going to be, you know, these guys are professionals. They're going to come go to work. I don't. I've heard that as well. Uh, some buzz about, you know, could players not be happy for when this is going to be uh, happening? I think hockey players are very, very down to earth, kind of uh, put your work boots on and, and get the job done type of thing. Um, I feel like you heard very little complaints with the re- with the return to play and the bubble scenarios. Uh, they were, you know, they understood it and they were like, hey, let's finish this season. Let's get out there and get the job done. So I don't foresee that a ton because even if you think about it, if conditioning camps and training camps of sorts, if they begin in December, um, you know, all their players will be in their not their homes for the all season, but they'll be in their home cities, uh, you know, where they play regularly. And they should be with family, I would think. You know, they'll be with family. Just it, it just, you know, they won't be in their all season homes. They'll be in their home cities with where they you know, with where they play and work. So I think they'll still be with families. I think they'll still be able to probably have like Christmas off. Um, it'll just happen to be um, a little bit busier uh, with practicing and training camp and getting ready to start. Um, but I feel like the NHL has always been kind of a, a player friendly league in the sense that they have the, you know, the holiday break. Uh, they have now like a bye week around the, the all-star break typically. So I feel like they really look out for the players in terms of giving them time off and making sure their bodies are healthy. Uh, and I have a feeling the players will be okay with it. And um, as long as they're around family, I think that's a plus. It's it's different than being in a bubble, right, and being away from them completely. So I have a feeling they'll be receptive. So, Jordan, I had a question for you. Um, just with everything going on, it seemed like January 1st was a nice date to start. I think, at least I assume, that it would get pushed back just was hoping for not so much like January 15th was another date I had heard. We just found out that it's not going to be a full 82 game season, but then right around the same time, we found out the NBA who has not had their free agency or draft is already coming back December 22nd. They don't have the border issues that the NHL is going to have, but do you see that as any kind of added pressure for the NHL? Yeah, a little bit. I, and then I think that's maybe, maybe why it's uh, taking a little longer and why the NHL maybe has a little more homework to do in terms of planning and preparing for this because because of the border issues, because of Canada, U.S., um, I think they have more questions to answer right now than the NBA does. Uh, good for the NHL that they got their draft and their free agency kind of out of the way, so that was good. And now they can solely focus on these big questions moving forward. And I think that's why they're going to be very diligent and patient, really, with how they do it. Um, I don't think there's a, really an extreme rush. I think they've at least given the players an idea of, hey, we're probably shooting for January 1 or January in that ballpark and be prepared to have basically December focused on kind of conditioning camps and training camps. So I think the players have an idea and they're going to eventually the league will and the NHLPA, they'll hammer down firm dates. But I think that's the biggest reason why there are still um, there are still uh, firm dates to be. To, to be determined because they have, I think, a little more issues in terms of uh, resuming play and how they're going to go about it. And do you think it's almost a foregone conclusion at this point that we're going to have a complete realignment of the uh, divisions and possibly even some kind of, I don't want to say bubble, but something similar to it when you look at Canada and like you don't want Ottawa and Vancouver playing like 
flying cross country like that. And I don't know how it would work exactly, but what do you foresee, particularly in that region and even our own region? I've heard of the quote unquote bus division where we be, all be within a very close vicinity teams such as the New York teams, uh, the Capitals, the Devils, like anything like that. What do you see? What do you foresee with all that? I do think everything's kind of still up in the air and everything's on the table still. I don't think they've really, I don't think they're leaning either way, but I definitely do think some type of realignment or obviously just being safe with travel, that's going to really impact it. You know, you kind of saw it with baseball um, in terms of trying to limit travel as much as you can, you know, Northeast teams probably staying on the Northeast, you know, uh, West coast teams staying on the West coast, Canadian teams probably playing each other. I do think, that's eventually what's probably going to have to come. Um, but I do think everything is still on the table. Uh, the the best case scenario would be having the division stay as put and maybe having games in home arenas. Uh, but I think just there's still too much up in the air with, you know, like I saw it with Philadelphia, you know, the recent restrictions now coming down starting Friday. Uh, and now, you know, Eagles fans can't be in the stadium. I think that now obviously impacts the Flyers. It's just going to take time to see how, really the, the pandemic evolves and develops and obviously with the vaccines, um, how fast those come. And uh, I think everything is on the table, but I, I do think eventually they're going to have to do some type of realignment to make this season work. It just makes the most sense with travel and, and especially the bubble cities too. I could definitely see kind of a revolving door of bubble cities, teams going in, maybe even playing a series of games and then coming out, going to see families, that type of situation as well. So how how has all of this affected your day-to-day? Like you're so used to being around the team, talking to whoever, whenever, and everything's suddenly so limited. We know how it's affected free agency and what have you, and I'm hearing that it's affected their day-to-day operations, and they're not so much concerned about trading for line A as they are everybody's safety and what have you and what the rest of the season is going to look like. So what what how much has changed for you? What are you hearing and – when do you foresee things getting something happening? Like possibly the teams stop focusing on their own organization and everybody being safe and getting back to hockey, hockey operations. I think, um, I think things will start really humming along or at least picking up come like December. I think December is when you're going to really start hearing firm dates for everything. I think that's when players are going to start uh, kind of trickling back into their home cities and, uh, you'll see facilities kind of open up for players to be able to, you know, go to their f- facilities, get workouts in. Um, kind of like what we had with the restart, where the Flyers kind of had that uh, that one phase where there was um, there was uh, not mandatory workouts, but players were allowed to go in there and kind of participate in smaller groups. I think that's what we'll kind of see in December. As far as kind of how my job has changed, um, it, it has changed in various ways. Uh, I would love to. I would love if the season was being played out as normal right now, but obviously that's just not the case. So a lot of it's you know more online, uh, a, a lot more digging for stories, a lot more picking up my phone uh, and looking for different and interesting things, and making sure we're touching on all the all the buzz and all the recent news uh, as it, as it comes. Uh, anytime we can touch and give our fans um, the latest on a certain date or Gary Bettman's latest or Bill Daly's latest or the return to play committee's latest. Uh, we try to touch on that and make sure just fans are as informed as possible um, and just be patient. It was hard being patient during the pause. Uh, and it was so refreshing when the season restarted. I'm sure it was for fans, but it was for us 
for us media folks as well, uh, just to see hockey again and be around it. But I definitely missed being in the locker room, being in the arenas, being around the players, the coaching staff. Um, it's just not the same doing it via Zoom, whatever uh, you're using for video. So uh, that's how it has changed. A lot of working from home and, and doing things virtually. Um, hopefully we can uh, eventually get back to a time where we're all in the arena and we're all enjoying it. So this is my last question before I pass it back to these guys. Um, sure. Speaking of being in the locker room, being in the scrum, something I've always wanted to know. There was a, uh, a gift that went viral involving you quite a few years ago. Um, I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't even know how to phrase this question. Can you just walk me through that whole hoopla and everything that followed since? It's, it was such a, you know – in the moment thing yeah that just i must have sent that like four times today like yeah we're talking to this guy today by the way i'll let you know how it goes like you know i I just it was awesome i let's get that out of the way it was hilarious and i just want to hear from you how it blew up and just everything that followed no it's funny you ask and i'm I'm happy to talk about it because sometimes i enjoy kind of clearing the air a little bit because i think there's many people out there that are still like what the heck happened that, you know, that, that created that moment <laughs> or that gift. Uh, so it was funny. We were in, I'm, I'm very close with Taryn Hatcher. Like we obviously work for the same company. I've gotten to know her ever since she came on board with NBC sports Philadelphia and started doing, uh, started working flyers coverage. So we're very close, good friends. Um, and we were in a scrum. I believe we were talking to Racco Gudis, if I can remember off the top of my head. And, uh, to be quite honest, a player behind us, I don't know who, still to this day, I don't know who, but he burped, like, just ridiculously loudly. Like, it was a loud burp. If you even look on the video, Sam Donellan, who used to work and write for the Philadelphia Inquirer, even Sam Donellan turns his head, too. He, like, turns his head, and so does Taryn. The guy happened, the player happened to be pretty much, very much behind me. So Taryn looked back, and so did Sam, and I... I didn't turn because I'm, I was personally trying to focus on Racco and the interview. So when Taryn turned, like, I guess she didn't know I was kind of right behind her, like right over her shoulder. So just playfully, she like looked and then saw me and decided to like kind of stare at me. And what I was trying to do was just kind of like, yeah, you know, what? I don't know what this is. Like, let's forward. <laughs> and she, you know, just jokingly, she stared at me for a brief second. And my just reaction was like, yeah, you know, I don't know, burp, and, like, my eyes, I looked at my eyebrows, and it, I guess it looked like I was making some weird gesture to her, or maybe hitting on her, which I would never do in a scrum <laughs> setting with cameras around, um, I would never do that, period, let alone, obviously, Terrence, who I, like, I'm friends with, but anyway, I, it was funny, because, uh, you know, you're in the locker room, and then after we talk to players in the locker room, you go down the hall, and you go to a press conference room where you interview the coach you know so you know as I'm leaving the locker room I you know I might glance at my phone I might tweet out something that happened in the locker room and then get ready for you know the coach's post-game interview so after we got done I believe Scott Gordon was the head coach at the time I, I'm pretty sure at that at that time you know we get done talking to Scott Gordon we leave the press conference room and I look at my phone and like you know I might have some Twitter notifications after, you know, a press conference or after like an interview, you know, I'm tweeting a few times. So maybe some people are retweeting me or responding, but I had like an abnormal amount of Twitter. Notifications. <laughs> it was, 
it was 20 plus. It was like through the roof. I was like, that's really weird. Like what, what like went off on my Twitter? And little do I know, I, I can't remember who it was, but someone like called it on TV, recorded it, tweeted it out and it blew up. It just blew up. And I think 90%, maybe 95% of the internet and Twitter didn't know that I, I'm, I'm a colleague of hers and I'm, we're friends. So they probably just thought I was some creepy dude in this. You know, <laughs> and she was basically shooting me down. Um, dude, I loved it. Your face was priceless, dude. It, it killed me when I saw that. I'm like, this guy's the friggin' man. It was funny. I even had a friend of mine. I think uh, he, t- you know, we have, a, I have a group chat of some buddies, and I think he, tw- he like messaged in that group chat and was like, "Holy crap! Like you will not believe just, what just you know, like his <laughs> face was just on TV." And he was looking at Taryn and like, and I, so I'm getting texts and I'm getting the notifications on Twitter. It just blew up and. The, the wild thing was, like, it didn't really die down until, like, for, like, a whole week, it just gained steam. Like, one day it was on another Twitter account. The next day it was on Barstool. <laughs> then the next day, I think, like, Crossing Brawl did an article on it. And, like, eventually Taryn had to, like, tweet and say, like, guys, like, let's let this just – let's put this to rest. Like, Jordan's a good friend of mine. Oh, God. You know, someone burped. Or whatever. So it was funny. It was funny. It was a wild, crazy week because my Twitter just never – it never died down. Uh, so my just, Twitter notifications went off. Just to recap, the only one being professional in this scenario was actually you. Everybody else was distracted <laughs> by the bird. <laughs> I will not – I won't say Taryn or Sam Danellen. I will not say they won't be – they weren't being professional. It really was <laughs> that loud and obnoxious, like something you just do not typically hear. So I don't blame them for turning. It was like it was that boisterous that like you you couldn't help but turn your head. But uh, I don't know why I, I stayed in the zone and I was like just look forward, don't look. And then once Taryn like did a double take on me, I just naturally was like, you know, I, I looked in my eyes and I was like, yep, you know, that's the perp. let's look forward. And uh, I, Taryn felt bad. She felt awful. Like we talked about it for for weeks and we still joke about it to this day. But I always tell her like don't worry about it. It was funny like. Uh, so and she'll she'll mess around with me too. Do we? I think when I said when it first happened, my first thought was even Crazy Eyes has a better pickup line than me. (laughs) (laughs) Do we know who the burper was? No, we don't. I think Taryn has said a few times that she thinks she knows, but I don't. I honestly can't remember who Taryn thought it was. I definitely don't know who it was. Uh, but it was a good burp. It, It it got everyone's attention. Um, and I. I even like I I even could laugh at all my mentions. Like sometimes they were just hilarious. Like people <laughs> using different gifts of people with like the eyebrows and the eyes. Like I I was cracking up as it went, and I was happy that it finally died down. I remember my first time back at the arena. Uh, I had a lot of people coming up to me and saying, "Oh, I saw you went viral." I was like, "Yes, unfortunately, I did." <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, eventually, it died down. It died down, and I made sure I tried to stay on certain angles of the cameras at that point because I did not want to be I did not want to be caught in any scrums moving forward well do you think in the long run as long as we clear the air and set things straight that it rose it raised your profile I I will say like I I weirdly got like a like my followers went up it was weird but <laughs> um like people were following me a lot more like all of a sudden I'm not only am I getting beats and you know, my notifications were also going off for like people following me. So yeah, you know, some people were like, I haven't talked to in a while, reached back out to me and they were like, Oh, I saw you on TV with Taryn. That was hilarious. 
so no, I, I definitely think some people followed me a little bit more and I had a lot of colleagues too and people that are and coworkers that I work with who were like really nice about it. Like they, they got on Twitter and tried to clear the air as well. Cause I guess they eventually, they, they knew how funny it was, but I think they saw I was catching a lot of heat for it too. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of people come to my defense and they were like, guys, listen, Jordan and Taryn are friends. He's a great guy. So that was really nice too. So yeah, no, it, it was, I guess there is that saying, uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity. So yeah. That's funny. So the other thing that you mentioned, and this will truly be my last question, I promise, because uh, I know this is something you've dealt with this year. Uh, somebody had created a fake uh, Jordan Hall Twitter and posted lineups with Ghost on the Wing, and you had to you had to come out like, did your phone blow up then too? Like, okay, now what's wrong? I didn't look at any cameras today. What what happened? You know? Oh. I did, and it was so funny that the first person that actually reached out to me and made me aware, and it was really cool of him, was uh, Charlie O'Connor of The Athletic, who obviously is a good friend of mine, uh, working just you know next to him every single day, being out by the facility and uh, the arena. So we've become close, and yeah, he was nice enough to text me, and he said, hey, Jordan, I just wanted to let you know, it looks like there's a fake Twitter account like uh, tweeting out lineup information. You know, I just wanted to let you know ASAP so you can kind of get ahead of the game with like reporting it and stuff to Twitter. Um so, yeah, that was ridiculous, too, because um, the last thing I like, I don't really care. It's a hassle. And like, I don't want to give that person attention for like creating the fake account. But I kind of had to because the last thing I want is the organization seeing it and seeing like, you know, Elaine Vigneault or maybe some higher ups within the front office or whomever within the organization seeing that I'm reporting these bogus lineups with Shane Gossespierre on the wing. Um, I, the last thing I, I need is that. So I wanted to get out, you know, front of it as fast as I could and just say, Hey, whomever's seeing this and sharing it on their Twitter accounts, please know it's not me. It's fake. So that was another kind of, you gotta be kidding me moment, um, but it was <laughs> so, not crazy. I will say it was definitely not as crazy as the Taryn Hatcher scrum experience that, uh, that blew up and lasted a little longer. <laughs> So what what one would you classify more as like oh man I finally made it <laughs> the, the the viral eyes or the fact that people are creating Twitter accounts based off of your name <laughs> that's so funny honestly I will humbly say I don't I never want to say like I made it or anything but I, I did have more people um on the fake Twitter account I have more people kind of reach out and joke with me and they're like hey that's when you know you made it when you have someone trying to um, imitate you or uh, on Twitter and uh, that that's I had more people telling me that, so I'll have to go with that one for sure. <laughs> it's a good that's answer. too funny, man. <laughs> yeah, too funny. Yeah, you know, it's like people always say the internet always wins, Twitter always wins, and that is certainly <laughs> the case. <laughs> so I want to bring it kind of back to the team a little bit here. I mean, you have a a dream job for certainly a lot of people. I'm sure it's got to be one for you. I mean, you're inside the Flyers locker room. You were inside the locker room last year, so. Something that I wonder quite often is what is the difference between last year's locker room atmosphere and this year's locker room atmosphere? Because you can clearly see the difference in the in the players, at least on TV and you know at the games. They just seem happier. Could you tell a difference? I 100% could. It's a great question because it was noticeable. You could feel it. You could sense it. And I, I have to give a ton of credit to Kevin Hayes because – he just came in and just naturally blended with the core of this team and just everyone from the person at the bottom of the roster or the bottom of the stat sheet to the person that's leading the team in goals. Um, 
I really think deep down, and I, I could sense it too, the core group of this team, the Sean Couturier's, the Jacob Borachek's, the Claude Drews, I think they lost a little bit of love and a little bit of passion for, for playing hockey in that 2018-19 season. Um, it does not mean they were not trying hard. It does not mean they didn't care. I just think it was such a hellish season. If you really look at it in terms of mid-season, they fire a general manager. Mid-season, they fire a head coach. Mid-season, they fire an assistant general manager. Mid-season, they fire an assistant head coach. Then they hire all of those positions, essentially, other than, of course, the head coach, which was still a new head coach. It's an interim head coach. There was just so much subtle – There were, not subtle, excuse me. There was so much sudden change, uh, franchise-shifting change, that um, on top of it, they just weren't very good. Uh, I think that was one of the toughest seasons all those veteran guys had been through in Philadelphia, and I think it makes the game – it makes it hard to have fun and enjoy the game. It, uh, Jacob Voracek, I remember telling us, he was as honest as it gets. He said this was – that was one of the toughest seasons, if not the toughest in terms of just simply coming to the rink and trying to have fun. It's hard to have fun when you're going through all that. What happens, Kevin Hayes comes in, and I think just his his uh, his humor, his lightheartedness on top, on top of his leadership qualities just kind of brought a fresh uh, – some fresh air. It just brought a fresh sense of enjoyment to the game. He would have fun with those guys. He would try to make them laugh, try to make them smile. And sometimes I think they – they're sometimes they're like, all right, Kevin, stop. But for the most part, they enjoy it, and it, it kind of forced them to have fun again. And then also he impacted them on the ice, too. He made them better. Uh, so, yes, uh, there was a noticeable difference in the locker room from 2018-19 to 2019-20. Uh, there was, they just had more fun. You sensed it in the, pra- in the practice locker room, in the game locker room, um, across the board. And uh, I think a lot of that has to go to Kevin Hayes. You think that was a part of the reason why – they were so eager to get him signed, Kevin Hayes, and, you know, obviously trade for him, first of all. But, um, you know, everybody knows his numbers from the past with the Rangers and with the Jets, and to give him that kind of money, do you think – I mean, obviously they knew, but do you think that factored in that this is a guy that is going to change the atmosphere of the locker room and he's worth every penny to bring him in? I do. Um, I Chuck Fletcher – I talked to Chuck Fletcher um, after they – uh, in, during training camp, um, and I did a feature story on Kevin Hayes and just kind of his background, and he mentioned how how much homework they did on not only him as a player, but him as a person. And I think all the data that, and, and uh, insight that they, that they gathered, um, I think a ton of it was he's a really good person, he works hard, he's got a pretty impressive story in terms of overcoming a really scary injury in college, um, and he's a good teammate and that was all the stuff they gathered. And I think they knew of his personality. They knew that he'd be really good for the group in terms of kind of re-energizing and rejuvenating it. And, and not to mention he's a six foot five center that plays 200 feet and would make them deeper across the board. So I think, yeah, I think it was even almost 50, 50. They knew he was a really good player hitting his prime age. And they also knew he would be a really good teammate a really good person for the city of Philadelphia and a really good person for the locker room. So I a hundred percent think that went into the equation. You just uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, put out a great piece on the struggle or the trials that Kevin Hayes overcame uh, back in college. So if you guys are listening, I'm sure you're already following Jordan, but if you're not, 
go follow Jordan and check out his pinned tweet on Kevin Hayes. It's a it's a great uh, read there. So, yeah, do you think they still uh, go after Hayes if they don't get that Nolan Patrick news? I do, and Chuck Fletcher has said they were they were pursuing Kevin Hayes uh, before they knew Nolan, of Nolan Patrick's uh, migraine disorder, but they they signed him after um, after they were made aware of it. I think it I think they really what they they definitely envisioned. Sean Gattoria, Kevin Hayes, Nolan Patrick. Three bigger centers with 200-foot qualities, tough to play against in all three zones, and they and think that really attracted them to Kevin Hayes, that, that possibility of that. And they still envision that. They still envision that if Nolan Patrick can come back and 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 play without any um without any hiccups, obviously with his migraine disorder. But once they found out of Nolan Patrick's symptoms, uh, they I think I believe I'm almost positive I have it in an article way back when. But he started making he made them aware of kind of the migraine symptoms in June, uh, and that is when they traded for Kevin Hayes' contractual rights. It's when they they signed him, uh, and I think that made it even more important to get Hayes because uh, all of a sudden there was some doubt circulating around Nolan Patrick's season, uh, and if they have Nolan Patrick and then they don't go out and get Kevin Hayes they are incredibly thin down the middle at the most important position uh on the ice so yeah once they they got word of Nolan Patrick and him starting to have these symptoms of a migraine disorder uh it made it paramount to sign Kevin Hayes but they definitely wanted to get Kevin Hayes before they knew of it so just out of curiosity because you are in the locker room um I know Kevin Hayes had a relationship with Elaine with the Rangers and he had a, a little bit of a rough patch in between the Rangers and then coming to the Flyers and kind of revamping his career. Is the chemistry between uh, Vigneault and Hayes obvious in the locker room? Do they get along well? Do, are they talking to each other constantly? I'll be honest. I don't see them communicate a ton uh, for the reasons of uh, after Players will be in the locker room by themselves. It's just the players. Maybe a coach walks in here and there, but it's not often. The coaches usually go their own way to their office. Players usually, you know, get done practice, get dressed, and then maybe head to a meeting. And then after the locker room is basically cleared, uh, Elaine Vigneault will come out from behind closed doors uh, from his office and he'll, he'll talk to us. So I haven't seen Kevin and Elaine um, communicate a ton in person. But they are definitely very – they definitely respect each other and are very close. Kevin Hayes has said personally that Elaine Vigneault – and he's told you know groups of media members that Elaine Vigneault was a big reason why he came to Philadelphia and wanted to sign here after the Flyers traded for his rights because you think about it. You go to a new team with a coach that you don't know. It's kind of like doing things all over again. you got to win them over. you got to show them who you are. Whereas Elaine Vigneault, he, you know, he, he showed Elaine Vigneault and became the player that he is, Elaine Vigneault. In New York, um, he said Elaine Vigneault really challenged him to be to really be a you know 200 foot center. Hayes came to the NHL kind of with high offensive upside. Um, he said he really challenged Kevin Hayes to be uh, all situation center, and and that's kind of how he won over Elaine Vigneault and started playing more minutes. So definitely uh, they get along, they respect each other. Uh, Kevin Hayes loves how he ha- he gives tough love, like it's you know it's kind of an old school approach. But um, he's going to be honest with you. You might not like what he has to say, but he will be honest with you. And that's what Kevin Hayes likes about him. And that's what 
the Flyers veterans have liked about him. He's very honest. He's very uh, doesn't sugarcoat things uh, in a good way. From from last season to this season, who would you say uh, stepped up in leadership roles compared to the pretty abysmal season that they went through to this fantastic season that they had? Who would you say stepped up the biggest in a leadership sense? Um, it's a really good question. In terms of guys that were here from 2018-19 and carried over into next season, I would say Sean Gatorier. Um, I just think he's becoming a very Claude Drew-like guy in terms of just leads by example, and people look up to him in how he works, how he how he goes about his business. Uh, that's always been like players and prospects, like they truly look up to Claude Drew because they know what he's done, they know how long he's been here, and just the way in which he goes about his business, his practice habits, his game habits, um, how he approaches each game uh, with a very workmanlike approach. Uh, Sean Gatorier, I've seen that uh, people really just look up in him in all, even like the younger players, but also his teammates. They really look up in him in all in terms of what he does and how how good he is in all three zones, how he works hard. He's never satisfied. Um, people just rave about his work ethic. So I would say Sean Gatorier, just in the strides he's taken um, to be a leader. And then Kevin Hayes and Matt Niskanen were just really huge. They were really important. Uh, kind of what I said about Kevin Hayes, his mixture of lightheartedness and leadership, it's been very important the way he includes everyone um, and the way he's kind of uh, seamlessly blended in with their leadership core. And then Matt Niskanen was massive, massive because it gave the young defenseman not only an accomplished player to look up to, um, but also a player that really just knows exactly what it takes to be successful in the NHL. There was like a presence and an aura to Matt Niskanen. He, you know, he's the only guy on that team that has won a Stanley Cup. He's the only guy with a ring. He even mentioned we, we, he's a very humble, quiet guy. But when we, we asked him, like, do, do some of the young defensemen ever ask you about your Stanley Cup ring? He's like, yeah, it's come up from time to time. He's like, I don't go out of my way to bring it up, but they've asked about it. And that's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool how those young guys really looked up to him. And they nicknamed him Steady Eddie because he was just so consistent in what he did. And you almost want to be you want to be better and you want to be more professional when you're around a guy like Matt Niskanen. I think that rubbed off on the entire roster. That's very interesting that you brought up Niskanen there because my next topic here, I wanted to kind of transition into the Flyers offseason thus far. And, you know, last year, obviously, they go out and get a need in a second line center in Kevin Hayes this offseason. We were all kind of going in thinking, OK, well, maybe they go out and get a, They go get a top uh, four all of a sudden Matt Niskanen retires and I think that loss is a lot greater than we kind of realize right now I mean just his skill alone you know you could argue that Gustafson could potentially play up to a Matt Niskanen level skill wise but like you had just mentioned the leadership and setting the example uh, the quiet consistency I mean the nickname Steady Eddie they don't just give that out. Yeah. Um, that's going to be missing from this team. And I think if you ask a lot of guys, and I want to hear your opinion, they didn't exactly replace that. They lost a lot of grit. They lost a lot of toughness in Matt Niskanen. And for my opinion, didn't really go out and replace that, at least not yet. What are your thoughts there? I agree in the terms of I, I think it's a massive loss. I do. Uh 
we already touched on what he did in the locker room in terms of leadership and presence. But, man, he was huge on the ice. He plays in all situations. He made them significantly better at five-on-five. He made them better on the power play. And, of course, he's really good on the PK. He just he played in all situations. Not only that, he was huge in augmenting uh, Ivan Provorov's turnaround season. So he made Provorov a lot better, kind of took pressure off of his shoulders and said, hey, you don't have to be the number one guy. Like, I'm here to help you. Who better than Matt Niskanen? I also understand why they really haven't replaced him and why they're trying to do it by committee. Because quite frankly, Chuck Fletcher admitted it the other day. They weren't going to replace a player with uh, of Matt Niskanen's caliber uh, other than if they went out and got Alex Petrangelo. And quite frankly, they weren't going to do that. Uh, they couldn't really do that. Uh, they thought Alex Petrangelo was the only defenseman on the UFA market that really would replace Matt Niskanen one by one, just one player for one guy. Wow. Um, so what they're trying to do is, yeah, do it by committee in a really tough cap, you know, stricken offseason. This is a flat cap era where it's really tough to go out and spend uh, because if one, you know, the, the cap floor stayed flat. And then if you're really committing money to these guys on the UFA market in this type of climate, uh, it can it can impact you for two to three years down the road when you're trying to re-sign some of your in-house guys that are really important for you. So what they're going to try to do is just do it by committee. Justin Braun's going to have to play more on the penalty, penalty kill. And I think they thought Eric Gustafson was a really good option to give them uh, a jolt offensively and kind of take on his Matt Niskanen's responsibilities uh, offensively. So I, I think it's a huge loss, and I think it's going to be one of the more telling storylines of the 2021 season. How do they replace Matt Niskanen? How does it go? And I will say if, you know, things get off to a bumpy start and, and it's looking like, you know, the back end is kind of struggling and there's too much on pro Rob's shoulders. Gustafson maybe doesn't provide the offense that he did in 2017, 2018-19 uh, when he had his career year. And maybe Braun looks older than uh, – it looks a lot older and maybe it looks like he's losing a step. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Chuck Fletcher from really not going out and trying to replace that uh, substantially. He did it marginally, and that's okay. It's really tough. Like he, would ha- he probably would have had to have pulled off a trade or he would have had to commit the world to Alex Petrangelo to replace Matt Niskanen. So I don't think Chuck Fletcher is done. I will say that. I think there are still things he can do, and then they can also reassess things as the season you know, goes on. Uh, the offseason is still going on. There's still, you, know, you can still make trades, obviously. But uh, right now I think they're comfortable with it. But uh, it will be awfully telling to see what the team looks like you know, over the first month or so of the season. Like not only was Matt Niskanen – not only did in all situations and he was so good in terms of moving the puck and not being pinned in his own end but he was really good with like odd man rushes like I've never seen a player or a defenseman break up an odd man rush like he did at least not over the past three four five seasons you saw a lot of Flyers defensemen kind of struggle in those situations (laughs) Andrew McDonald yes great point like Andrew (laughs) McDonald you know not to like knock on Andrew McDonald really good guy really good person but he was a guy that kind of looked out of place at times on those odd man rushes or in tight coverage, Matt Niskanen was just really skilled at it. So not only when they not only when they were playing the defensive zone, he was so good at just getting that puck and making sure it's going north. So I think it's a big loss, and it's going to be one of the biggest storylines uh, to start this season. Where do you think this leaves Ghost? It's very interesting. I don't. A lot of people had the, made the assumption that they went out and signed Eric Gustafsson 
that he was like a clone of Shane Gossespierre, and it made him even more likely to be traded because Eric Gustafson does very similar things to Shane Gossespierre. He's an offensive-minded guy. He sees the ice. He can put up points when he's at his best. He can quarterback a power play. So you were kind of thinking, well, does this make Ghost even more expendable? But really, NHL teams, especially general managers and front office executives, they really value depth on the blue line. Like, they want as much depth as possible at defensemen because, as we know, injuries happen um, and uh, flukish things happen. You really don't want to be thin on the back end. And you can have that if you're not really deep organizationally on the back end. And I think they wanted to go out and make sure they had as much pieces as possible, especially when you lose Matt Niskanen. It wouldn't look very good if they lost Matt Niskanen and then they just put everything in Shane Gossespierre's hands to be, hey, go be 2017-18 Shane Gossespierre. It's not as easy. It's not as easy as it looks to say, hey, Shane, go be a top, top pair or a top four defenseman again. I think they believe he can still possibly do that, but they want to make sure they're as covered as possible. Um, but of course, he's, you know, the more depth you have, the more trade assets you have. And uh, I don't think they will be shy in terms of picking up the phone and listening on Shane Gossespierre. But it also can't hurt to have him start well and at least boost his stock. Let's be quite frank. His stock isn't super high right now. It's coming up probably the worst season of his NHL career, uh, and it was marred by injury. So the Flyers would love nothing more if Eric Gustafson looks great and Shane Gossespierre looks healthy and kind of shows glimpses of the guy that we know uh, put up 65 points in 2017-18, it would make them deeper, and it would give them more trade assets as well. So you mentioned that you think that Fletcher will make um, some smaller moves, or some moves will be active. Before the season starts, say it's January 1st, do you think he makes, I don't want to say a significant move, I don't want to say Patrick Laine, I'd like to, but I don't. Um, do you think he does anything significant of like player for player, not just like picks here or minor leaguer here? Do you think he does anything relatively bigger than normal? I'm going to say no, but I'm going to say definitely don't rule it out. And I always touch on last offseason, his first offseason with the Flyers, all of his moves, all of his significant ads they were via trade, um, and they were via a time that was a little quieter than typical uh, for an offseason. He did that all in June. Tyler Pitlick was a trade in June. Justin Braun was a trade in June. Kevin Hayes was a trade for his contractual rights in June and then signed, and uh, so, was, um, so was Matt Niskanen. Uh, they were all kind of like out of the blue. Like We knew he was going to retool them and make them better, so I'm not surprised he was a lot louder last offseason than this offseason because they are they're better because of his previous offseason but he definitely did it in um you know he didn't do it via free agency he did it via trades he used his assets wisely and made them better that way so I wouldn't rule out a trade um before next season starts although I will say this I think they really truly genuinely do like what they have in house I think they're the the thought internally is hey we were a top team in 2019-20 we have the goalie of our future who's got great experience we have a really young blue line that we like and is only getting better with some young prospects you know right down the pike and guys like Igor Zamula, Cam York um some of those are some of the big names but you think of Wyatt Wiley and some other guys and then I think they like their forwards group and I think they're thinking hey we have Nolan Patrick back possibly 
We believe Oscar Limbaum can return to the guy that they saw the first 30 games of the season when he was tied for the team leading goals and projected to finish with 30. And they were a they were a win away from going to the Eastern Conference final. So I think they're very quick to not make rash decisions um, just because they struggled really in a 13-game sample size to score some goals uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think they know they can be better and they have to be better and they might have to make some changes, but I think they like what they have in place. I think they really like their youth and they believe it can take more strides. And if it does, uh, then they got better in a really tough offseason. They didn't spend as much and um, and didn't lose any picks or assets or young players. Um, all along, I think Chuck Fletcher didn't want to blow up what was in place. He wanted to supplement it, and I think he did that last offseason. And they believe they're better going into next season uh, without having to go out and do anything real loud. But I will not rule it out. But I, I don't think he's going to do anything really big. I just don't think he wants to... I don't think he wants to sacrifice anything that they have in place. I definitely understand that from a cap perspective. We had a lot of Twitter trying to burn the place down that they didn't acquire. Like, <laughs> I keep forgetting his name. Who's the guy that went to Vancouver from uh, Vegas? Schultz. Schultz. No. Yeah. I mean, five, six million dollars over five years. So it's like, guys, guys. <laughs> like I feel like it's not guys. Schultz. I can't remember his it's name. Oh, Schmidt. 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 I Whenever yeah. I need to call on him, my mind goes blank. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just – and it's just – I was like – I'm not happy that we lost Niskin, obviously, but that was not the right move. I'm like, guys, like, come on. So he is one of the most active guys in his history of being a GM, especially in the trade market and that's why when the line thing came up we all got excited now there is something you said that i wanted to ask you said they think they're better did you mean better than they were last year going into this season because now that's that's under the guys that patrick and uh well patrick has to as close as a full season as he could have i can't imagine him playing a full season having missed an entire season but also having limbaugh back you're missing niskin in on the back end but getting new, those two guys in your top six do they do you think they're a better team than they were last year? I think they're one of the hardest teams to kind of predict um, from every level. Uh, talking like nationally, like pundits nationally, are, I think are having a tough time to really put their finger uh, on this team. And I'll admit, I'm I'm a little kind of up in the air. I I like their all season so far, and I think Chuck Fletcher's done a good job last all season and this all season. He's very smart, um, and I think he's done things. He's come in and he's expedited their process to contention without seriously sacrificing young players, um, prospects that they took a while to really draft and develop. That's been a positive. But I will say um, there's a pre- there, there's more expect there's probably the most expectations the Flyers have had in over a decade. And they did have a relatively quiet offseason. They did not spend much, they did not add much, and they lost a top pair of defense defensemen that plays in all situations. If they don't start well, um, and they look like they have some holes and they're not, they're not about to take a step forward. It's going to be a lot of heat on the front office and a lot of heat on the flyers. Um, cause the time is ticking a little bit. The time is definitely ticking a little bit on the core in terms of the kind of the youthfulness and the core kind of meeting at this perfect peak. There's definitely some time ticking. Claude Drew's entering the second to last year of his contract. That's going to be a big decision. Uh, Sean Couturier will be due a new deal soon. Carter Hart will be do uh, his first deal after his entry-level one. So 
I definitely think the time's ticking a little bit on this group. Um, but I think internally they do believe they will be better. I think they truly, genuinely believe uh, in their young players. They believe in players like Tanner Lazinski, Wade Allison, um, Lena Sandine, a guy that they're, I think they're considering kind of like a, like a free agent acquisition, a guy they obviously signed during the stoppage, but a kid out of the SHL um, who has an NHL build and uh, is, has been playing at a pretty high level, uh, the highest level out in Finland. So I think they believe in their internal pieces and that they'll take strides with their young players. Everyone's in an offseason. Everyone's looking for you to add externally, but you don't always think of what a team or an organization has internally on the way. And they do have a lot of nice young players on the way. Uh, they're going to have to just really hope that uh, those young players take bigger strides and uh, the core can still perform at a high level and kind of have it all come together. But I think the biggest thing they have going for him is a 22-year-old franchise goalie who looks like he's already uh, already making his mark at the NHL level. So that's a positive. Yeah, I think yeah. I think a big part of it is Flyer fans are are and always have been and probably always will be extremely impatient. They see a glimmer of a second round exit in game seven and they go we need to do absolutely everything we can to win the cup next year and while that is fantastic it also requires you to get rid of assets and and players that could help you win more than one stanley cup opposed to just going all in for one a hundred percent and i i'm a man that i think i understand both sides of the coin i understand frustration of flyers fans the last seven years before this one the team was stuck in the mud. It was it was stagnant. It uh, it was squeaking. if it wasn't missing the playoffs, it was squeaking in and in a horrible matchup. Uh, you know they got away from what they do, and that's trying to contend every year. So I understand the fans' frustration. Um, on the other side of the coin, I'm more of the believer of hey, hey, 2019-20 was a major success. The team got away from those kind of uh, baby steps. Those uh, those smaller victories, which are having a really good regular season, not just squeaking into the playoffs, uh, winning a playoff series, going deep uh, in, a, in the second round. The Flyers had to get back to that first before all of a sudden they were trying to win a Stanley Cup. And they did that. They did that in one year after a disastrous 2018-19. Uh, they had their fewest points in 2018-19 since I think it was the 2006-07 season when they were like the worst team in hockey. You know, that that was the bad 2018-19 season, and they got significantly better in one year. So I think that was really good. Now they have to build on it because there are expectations, and there should be. Fans should be excited, and they have all the right to be upset if they don't take a stride in 2021. We don't know how the season's going to play out with game, how many games, and um, you know whether there will be fans in the building or whether they're going to play in a bubble. It's still a lot to be determined, uh, but. You know, fans have all the right to have expectations for this group. And now, you know, the bar has been raised. They should they should want to go past the second round. Um, they should not take a step backward. But I thought 2019-20 was very important for them. It was very successful. I did not expect them to go win the Stanley Cup after 2018-19. So they, they got those small victories out of the way. Now they're shooting for bigger ones. And you mentioned a lot of the guys that they're going to have to sign, and it's exactly why I didn't want them to trade for a guy like Schmidt 
not Schultz, um, because that's going to be a lot of money. A franchise bully, Couturier, has been criminally underpaid for years. Um, but I, just real quick, I don't think there's any issue here, but what do you think the holdup with Myers' contract is? Yeah, some people have asked me about that. I do find it like a little odd that they didn't get it out of the way earlier. Um, you know, I thought that would have been maybe one of the quicker ones just because I didn't think there was like a ton of gray area. But what I did, what I did start to realize as now, as we continue to wait was um, there's no rush. There's no rush. He wasn't arbitration eligible. Um, and that, it reminded me of Ivan Provrov last off season. He went the entire summer uh, without a new deal. Yeah, yeah, and connecting went even longer. Um, don't get me wrong, Philip Myers probably isn't there in terms of uh, NHL time. Obviously, as Konechny and Provorov, they they are different cases for sure. They they had been in the NHL for you know multiple years, two to three years at that point. Um, but there really is no rush with a young player that's not arbitration eligible. So I think the balance really is um, they know they have some time and they're going to get it right. And th- there's really an interesting. Uh, there's an interesting element to it because Doug Shepard, I believe, is, yeah, Doug Shepard is Philip Myers' agent, his representation. They probably feel like Philip Myers is about to take major strides. Like, he, he could be a pair guy this year. He really could. So they're probably thinking, well, Myers is going to take major strides. He's going to play his first full season. He's here for good, and he could take on a ton of responsibility. We certainly don't want him to become a bargain if he signs a lengthier deal for cheap. Uh, or not for cheap, but cheaper. So, like, you have to balance, do we want years in security or do we want more of a um, more, you know, higher uh, higher money and then also lower term so we can kind of have him become a slam dunk and a, a much bigger deal uh, after he performs in one or two years. It's like a balance between a prove-it deal, um, a short-term kind of bridge to that next big one, or do you want those years and just be comfortable and be happy that, you, you know, you're locked up for a little longer and not really kind of put more risk on a bridge deal? Just some interesting elements that I think they're trying to figure out what they want. Um, I could definitely see kind of a Travis Sanheim type contract. Uh, Sanheim, I believe, was a two-year deal. Um, good money, uh, but it was really kind of like, hey, we think he's going to take big strides. And when he does, he'll be, he'll be much ready, much more ready. Uh, to sign a much lengthier, bigger deal uh, for the future. So I think that's kind of like the battle they're in right now. Uh, but definitely find it a little interesting that, yeah, he hasn't been signed. I figured maybe at this point it would probably be done. Now I'm ready to wait. I- I'm okay with waiting because I-, I can kind of see why. Yeah, I definitely – one name that always comes to mind for me when they want to sign a defenseman who's young, who they project will be pretty good – and they want to get him as a bargain is Roman Yossi in his first contract, four million, six years. And he was so good. And I would love to, if they were to do that, but I think we all are kind of like, yeah, he's probably going to get what Sanhai got maybe even a little less. And we're just kind of like, what's the holdup? But that makes sense. Everybody's, uh, you know, positioning themselves, but Jordan, there is another thing. I, it's a huge favor. I need to ask of you. Can you please explain to my friend, Jim here, how good Travis Konechny is, and that he will score in the playoffs. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a big like firm believer in Travis Konechny, and I really don't put too much into his playoff struggles. 
Because for me, we forget he had never been on a on a playoff front ever. Uh, the you know I believe his first playoffs was when he was a 19 year old rookie, 2015-16. They obviously lost in the first round, and then his second playoffs was 2017-18, and obviously they lost in the first round. This was his first extended playoff run as one of the guys, like one of the guys where there are expectations. He was the team leader in goals, the team leader in points, and he was only 23 years old and hadn't been on a playoff run yet. Um, Not only that, it was a pretty unique playoff run. It was after a long, long pause. There was no fans in the building. Um, Maybe I'm making excuses for him, and and I'm okay if people – don't want to make excuses for him. And they're like, yo, connect me, start scoring some playoff goals um, now. But I'm more on that side of, hey, give us some time. This kid's got, you know, he broke out uh, on year one of his new shiny deal. Uh, That was great to see. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to score big goals in the playoffs over his time in Philadelphia. We're going to see him screaming and pumping his fist uh, in Philadelphia in front of fans scoring big goals, making big moments. I just see that in him. But what I think what, what happened, I think, was this was the first time he had really dealt with a spotlight in the playoffs over an extended period of time. And once all of a sudden people were like, yo, why isn't this guy scoring goals? I think it got to him. It definitely got to him. And that's okay. I think that's all right. Um, you know, but yeah, I think the next step of his career, he's done everything to this point now. He's an all-star. He's a... Uh, foundational piece. Um, he's a team leader in goals and points. The next step for him is answering the bell in the postseason. That's we know Philly. That's that's where you really win Philly over. That's where you're truly deemed, you know, a Philadelphian and a and a Philly player is when you perform and it matters most. And that's he's going to have to do that next time uh, he steps to the plate in the playoffs. Yo, so speaking of a player. <laughs> <laughs> what? And I'm okay. You really answered the so bell. So hard not to talk shit on Travis connecting in. I appreciate it, Jim. Yeah. What, man? <laughs> yeah. Just and I'm moving okay. on. I'm okay if Jim disagrees. I understand some fans that, yo, he he did not score a goal in 16 games in that return to play tournament. It's pretty damning. That's not a good number. Uh, you know. So I understand the frustration. They fell short because maybe they were some goals away from going to the Eastern Conference Final. But at the same time, I understand the patience. He's 23, young player. Uh, give us some time. I think he'll step up eventually. Yeah. I, I mean, so <laughs> yeah. a lot of this is me, like, kind of busting balls. But at the same time, it's like, well, he really didn't score a goal. So, like, I don't know how you can not really get on him for that. Because I felt like during the playoff run, what were we saying? The top guys aren't producing. But somehow, it seemed like everyone was forgetting that TK led the team in regular season goals. Because everybody was blaming Claude Giroux, Jake Voracek, James Van Riemsdyk, Sean Kut- And it's like, hello, Travis Konechny led the team in, in goals, has does not have one single goal. Are we just going to forget about TK? So a lot of it is me kind of, you know, if you're going to dish out blame, make sure you give it to everybody. And I know he's a fan favorite, 23 years old, but dude, zero goals in the playoffs is not helping, you know? So... You know, and I think what else irks me about TK is his most memorable moment, you know, was that it's now a gif, you know, of making the face. I forget who it was now. And I I don't know why for someone like me, because we watch the Flyers because we want them to win. We want the, the guys who are supposed to score to score. Like, 
that kind of rubs me the wrong way when I see stuff like that because it's like, dude, I don't really want to see that if you're not scoring goals. You know what I mean? So I do have a bad taste in my mouth with TK. I have no, I have no doubt that he's going to come out in the regular season and light it up. Playoffs though, I'm like, let's see TK because everyone's telling me that. Give you time, give you time. You're only 23, so it's like, okay, it's time to shine now. Yeah, I, I, I've said it before. I don't think Philadelphia will give one damn how many goals he scores in the regular season. Um, it's going to be about the playoffs. Like they'll be happy, but they're going to expect that at this point. Like he had his breakout season. He led the team in goals and points. I don't think it matters how many goals he could probably even score. You know, obviously the season's probably going to be shorter, but he could probably score close to 40. And I think people are still going to say you better do it in the playoffs. So yeah, I agree that that's going to be the expectation is it, he has to do it come playoff time because he's already met his expectations in regular season. It's now got to be playoffs. Yeah, and I never really thought that I'd be the guy that goes, yeah, you know what? This could be a regular season player. This could be a playoff player. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe there's some merit to that, that some guys just excel in the regular season. And once they get to that playoff type hockey, you know, I I don't want to call him small or, you know, it's a more physical brand of hockey, but some guys just kind of don't rise up to the moment. And Kyle mentioned in a, in a past show that, you know, TK may have been hurt. I think there was something that came out. He may have had a shoulder injury and whatnot. And, you know, if we want to make excuses, that could be a legit excuse for a guy not playing well. You know, but like all the all the crowd and the COVID stuff, all the players had to deal with that. So it's like, I don't know if I really give him a pass for that. No, you're, and you're right. Like, um, you know, everyone, a lot of players are bad. Like, guys say it all the time. I understand they had the, they had the break, but guys, you know, Overextended playoff runs, you're gonna you're gonna have bumps and bruises. It's just that's playoff hockey. So yeah, maybe you're you know maybe they were healthy going into the playoffs because of that long break. But once the playoffs get going and obviously the, the physicality of it, yeah, everyone's nursing something probably. And credit to Travis Konechny, he has not made that excuse. We asked him at after the season in his end of season uh, interview, and he said you know he talked about the block shot. I think that was in the Montreal series. Um, where he had to limp off and he he didn't come back to the game. It was late in the third of, I think, a blowout loss. So they, they didn't probably pre- precautiously, they didn't bring him back in. But he said, no, my foot my foot was fine. And who knows if it truly was, but good for him for not making the excuse. Um, but yeah, you know, like there was a lot of, you know, there were older players that dealt with a pause uh, that was pretty unprecedented. And, you know, none of those older guys really made excuses for like, I couldn't get my body going uh, in the playoffs. So like you said, everyone's got to deal with it. And, uh, yeah, that's not, that's really not an excuse. I don't think anyone, and I think he would agree with that too. Yeah. Great player. And I'm not anti TK. I'm just, are you going to, are you going to score in the playoffs TK? That's all. And I know we're going to have a, hopefully we're going to see a lot more playoff TK and we're going to see some goals, but right now it's like, dude, you didn't score in the playoffs. That's all. Jim, we've been trying for weeks now to bust Jim out of this negative little spell he's been in, and it's it, it, it hasn't gone well, so we're just kind of letting him work himself through it, if that makes sense. He's <laughs> not the only player he's been hating on. <laughs> Let's kind of transition to a positive, uh, though. In a, a Flyers prospect, you guys mentioned a little bit earlier, you were talking about how Chuck Fletcher kind of stayed course while still adding to the NHL roster kept all of his assets, used his draft picks, and we're now seeing one of this year's draft picks, I believe the fifth-round pick in Elliot Denoyer. Have you seen this kid play yet, Jordan? 
I've seen him via video, but I have not seen him live. No. Um, but man, so far so good. Uh, from everything I heard from the Flyers, it was that, yeah, he could be potentially like a sleeper type of guy because he played on a really loaded team last year in the queue. And then he was traded this all season and went to a team where his role was really going to expand. And Brent Flair and company, they were told by people that, hey, keep an eye on this kid. Once he gets a bigger role, can kind of have an opportunity to show off his game. Uh, he could do something. And we're seeing what he can do when he's playing in, in, a, in a much bigger role. And uh, from what I hear, he's like a real 200-foot, solid defensively, solid offensively. Like not maybe the flashiest guy that's going to, you know, play on your first or second line, but um, really good potential depth piece. So it's exciting, especially with obviously a lot of, you know, a lot of leagues not even playing yet, college hockey not even playing yet until just recently. Um, It's been fun to see a prospect kind of jump out early and kind of turn some heads. Not to bring any kind of negative to this kid, but I have to bring this up. Aren't they not allowing hitting in that league right now? No, there was rumors of, um, and not that I'm aware of, but there was rumors of OHL maybe uh, taking away um, uh, like four checking and stuff like that and all types of checking. Um, but then I think that was kind of like a false rumor. I think that was just kind of premature. And then uh, some people came out, some national guys came out and they kind of shot it down. So they, hey, nothing's been decided on that. So, no, I believe they're, they're playing as, as regularly. Okay. What I like to see, and I, I was not like when I for his first four four goal game, I was kind of like, all right, take it easy. And then he had another one, and I was like, and I did a little research. It's like, wait a minute, this guy's game is more of like his defensive responsibilities and other things he does. And then I saw his second four point game or four goal game. I saw some. Of, I think he did something like between the legs kind of move. It's like this kid's gaining confidence now. <laughs> like yeah. maybe he's unlocked something here. I, I'm still not ready to freak out. But at the same time, for what was he, a fourth round pick, fifth round pick? He was a fifth round pick, yeah. And they traded their two seventh round selections to get up, go up and get him. So you, you, you knew he was definitely on their radar and they didn't want to miss out on him. And so far, like just giving up those two seventh round picks is looking pretty good. But – I'm a big believer of like prospects are prospects until they become players. So I think it's okay to get excited about them. And you know, I write about them all the time and I love learning more about them. And I myself, you know, believe in the hype of players or young players, but you know, I, I definitely am a firm believer of, you know, they got to become players uh, eventually. And uh, like, just like a Morgan Frost, you know, he hasn't really become a player yet. There's still a ton of time and I love his upside. I really do. But uh, you know, you got to see them become an NHL player first, but I think when you see a fifth round guy like leading the QMH, QMJHL, uh, like in major stack categories, a fifth round guy, that's that's exciting. That's definitely good to have. You can't be you can't be mad about that. Yeah, you kind of hope very... for it from your your first and second round guys, but for it to be a fifth round guy, you're like, okay, all right. That's yeah. that's what I was thinking because it would be nice though to see a Fletcher draft hit past the first round, which he has a had a tough time with in Minnesota hitting past the first and second rounds on players. So if we could snap that right out in year one, I would say we're on to something. I think that a few of their, dra- their, their two drafts have, I think looked pretty good. Like, you know, Cam York's looking pretty good. Um, Bobby Brink, I thought was a very underrated pick and they obviously moved up to get him. It uh, looks like he could be, you know, a player with upside. 
And even in that draft, they had some guys, uh, lower round guys like Mason Millman, really good defenseman in the OHL. Um, again, time will tell. But yeah, this draft, uh, yeah, when you see a kid like Elliot Day, fifth round guy, it's so far, obviously, because other guys aren't playing, uh, has looks like the guy that's getting the most attention in this draft class. Uh, that's exciting. <laughs> but yeah, but you're right. They need to, you know, they, they need to draft and develop. That's what Hextall was so good at. That uh, was he was so good at drafting and developing. Obviously, maybe lacking some other areas in terms of supplementing uh, the youth and pushing it forward. But um, he was really good at drafting and developing. And they want to continue that trend. It's good to hear that this fifth round pick's uh, already better than Lafreniere, so that's good for us. Yeah, exactly. He's done, <laughs> he's done more, so that's def- that's definitely true. <laughs> do, do you have a favorite prospect right now that like is really going to push for the Flyers that you just see that potential in? And like you said, they're not they're prospects until they're not. But there is there one guy that you can't help but get overly excited about? Yeah, I, like maybe an obvious one, but I. I mean, I was really high on Joel Farabee ever since they drafted him, and obviously he's already, you know, with the Flyers, and I wouldn't really consider him a prospect anymore because he's, you know, he's made it and he's going to stick. But, um, I, you know, Cam York is just really exciting. Uh, just every everyone I've talked to from his his coach at the national U.S. National Development Program uh, to what he did at Boston University and to what I hear from uh, folks within the organization, just a really exciting modern day defenseman uh that can push the puck in place and just create havoc with his skill um we're seeing it already uh he's going to be a quick riser in my opinion because of his skill and his ability to skate and push the puck uh and transition the puck with his legs um and then he's just really highly skilled he was on a loaded u.s that loaded national development team that just had so many first round picks and he still stood out um I believe he still holds the, the U.S. National Development Team program record for points in a season by a defenseman. Uh, just really exciting player, and it uh, looks like he's gaining strength. And I have a feeling he'll, he'll be a quick riser. Um, and it could be eventually, you know, a top pair defenseman that quarterbacks a power play. I think that's really exciting. And a sleeper guy for me, I really like Noah Cates. Um, fifth round pick from, I think, was 2017. Uh, he's playing at uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. And I've heard a lot of really good things within the organization uh, that they really like his upside. Um, could be uh, he's a winger, uh, can play a little center maybe, and uh, looks like he could be a depth piece down the line. Um, and his college coach told me this was during the pandemic, so obviously maybe readjust their thoughts on when he'll turn pro. But uh, he's going to be a uh, he's going to be a junior going into this year. And his college coach was honest with me and said, we, we, we anticipate him turning pro after this year. So, uh, you know, he could be a guy that you'll see with the Phantom soon. And a uh, nice player, all-around guy with some skill that, could, uh, that can play in all situations. So on the opposite end of that, is there anybody that you're maybe a little worried about they're probably not going to make it? Maybe we had higher hopes for them. They're start, their star is starting to fade. Yeah, like maybe a guy like and I, I have nothing against the kid and I like him. Um, I, I think he's just a real solid, steady kid. But like a player like Yermin Rubtsov, I think he's maybe slowly starting to maybe look out, more outside the picture than he is inside. Because you just have you have a lot of promising young prospects. Um, like if you're looking, if all things go well with Nolan Patrick and he returns, and then you have a kid like Morgan Frost, who is a hundred point kid junior hockey all the skill in the world, you know, you're looking at, you know, in the future, like 
Kevin Hayes is going nowhere. Sean Couturier is going nowhere. Nolan Patrick, okay, he can be who he is. And they have Morgan Frost. Yerman Rubsov. You know, I'm not sure. And he's a kid that they've always wanted to kind of push the envelope more offensively. Everyone's really praised him for his defensive awareness and his soundness in his own end, which is all good and fine. But eventually, you know, if you want to be an NHL center and uh, play like in a top nine, you got to probably push the envelope a little more offensively. And I just don't know if he's shown that yet on top of he's had some injury hookups too. So there's one prospect I see maybe kind of not falling out of place with the organization, but he, I think he's getting his, his hill is becoming steeper and steeper as I would say Yerman Rubsov. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> you yeah. just made me look pretty good right there. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, it was like, if there's anybody in the Flyers recent history, cause they had their drafting has been so good. Like how many guys could we have pulled from the fourth and fifth round? You talk about Oscar Limbrom, Travis, uh, or I'm sorry, Carson Twinsky, Leonard Tuzinski, you know, you, there's even more than I'm not even thinking of. I said it right that time, Jimmy. It's not only, <laughs> no, only any smirking. <laughs> uh, yes, I did. Um, uh, here at AW, we like to make up names. We, make, we have a whole Jack, team, full of, we have a whole team full of names. <laughs> we have an episode named up, after though. Tanner Luzinski, but we always say it backwards, and now it's just his name. <laughs> and it's their fault that I do it because I did it once, and then when I go to say it, I have anxiety. So thanks. I can't wait for him to make the flyers. He's just going to be Lanner Tuzinski his whole career. <laughs> well, if I get to Jersey. Those names yeah, aren't so. easy to say. It took me a while to get Tuzinski down, too. So don't feel bad. See, yeah, when I you write now, now you're going to be saying Lanner Tuzinski every time yeah, you write about him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see, it's, it's that welcome. pause. It's that pause. You think. And that, that it's that I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, outside they've drafted extremely well. And Rusloff's the one guy who sticks out like a sore thumb. I, maybe LaBurge a little bit, but he had a pretty significant injury. And it's kind of like like everybody else seems to be pushing. And these guys are kind of just falling by the wayside. And more and more drafts are just passing by. And I know they haven't really hit on center as much. But like you're saying, at the NHL level, they're set. You know, yeah. and then eventually they're going to start drafting more centers too, and it's just it's looking less and less likely. And I haven't seen a whole lot of movement like with other teams where they've been moving prospects for picks or in bigger deals. Kind of one of the reasons I really was looking forward to like a line A deal. I wasn't keen on trading Sanheim and Konechny or whoever was involved. But like we have all these prospects, and some of them probably aren't going to pan out. And if they do, there's no room for them. So I was kind of hoping that you know they they package some sort of pick some prospects and get something it doesn't have to be lining but you know some kind of niskin and replacement or something like that but from talking to everybody it seems like that's very unlikely no and you're right like that's part of building up your prospect pool is yeah you have assets and you want to keep most of them but uh you can't and not all of them are going to be in your nhl lineup and so yeah you got to i think use them wisely like i think even uh ron hextall i believe uh he turned uh cooper uh cooper marodi um Six-round pick that ended up becoming a pretty good college player at Michigan and uh, had a really good year. And he used it, I believe, in the um, – uh, what was the goalie they got from the Oilers? Oh, you're talking about Cam Talbot? Yeah, but I – no, I'm sorry. I, I don't so – I think – I think they, I know you're talking about Cooper Marotti. They, they, they traded him for a third-round pick, pick yeah. which, is a, which is a win. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, that, I'm sorry. That He was not in that trade. Uh, Chuck Fletcher was the one, I think, that uh, acquired um, Talbot. Cam Talbot. 
But I, I was surprised Hextall traded a prospect. Um, but like, <laughs> hey, you, you, it's a sixth round pick. You hit on him. He developed into something. Use it. You know, use it while the stock is high. And uh, and they and did. Now he writes music. I I kind of want to see who they got with that <laughs> third round pick now. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember that trade. I remember when it happened, and I was like, "Oh wow, he traded Cooper Marody. Like he was, he was turning into a nice little player." So I, guess- I, I think he was going to go back into the draft or something. That's why he pulled the trade. Because Hexall, you're right, he hangs on to these things, yeah. like you know. And I'm, now I really want to know. I think he was going to go back into the draft because he didn't see a, uh, a a place to play here, really. So yeah, you know what? Maybe it could have been a Wyatt Kalinuk. Oh, uh, uh, okay. A college player that uh, you know, Kalinuk was kind of similar to Marody, you know, seventh round pick who developed into a player at college, and then he all of a sudden had a chance to, you know, maybe, uh, you know, test the waters and and find a better situation for him. So that that's a good point. I wonder if uh, Hextall was kind of worried about that and then said, you know, I might as well turn him turn him into something, get something for him. Uh, like you know, why Kalinuk? They lost, unfortunately, they lost they lost him for nothing. That happens, but um. So, yeah, that, that must have been what it is. But, yeah, exactly what you were saying. You know, use your assets. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, maybe Chuck Fletcher eventually understands they have to part ways with a prospect to maybe to really take that next step. That's just part of contending, right, in the NHL is eventually you got to really buy in with your group and part with maybe something, uh, you know, a future piece. Because uh, it can't always perfectly be about the future and the present. Sometimes you really got to buy in on the present as much as you can. Which is all I'm saying, and that was like the dream. It's almost like when I think of the Phillies now, I'm like, this is. I want them to operate like the Tampa Bay race, but spend like the Yankees. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think the Flyers are doing a pretty decent job of that. Like they're drafting very well, but they'll spend when they have to. Um, so they got a 2019 third for Morarty, and it looks like they took Ronnie Atard with that pick. So okay, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, big big college defenseman. Um, through, yeah. You know, kind of raw still, but we'll see. Maybe that turns into something. Even then, you're put you're pushing the it back a couple of years. Like you know, like okay, we don't can't use it. by the time this guy's ready to go, we're not gonna have a spot for him. We'll back it up a few more seasons, take a shot on another guy, a defensive guy. When defense, as you said earlier, always at a premium. So yeah. I can't hate that. Yeah. So yeah, no, and like you said, maybe they start trading a prospect or two for an actual for an actual NHL player a guy that's going to help them now uh, as opposed to a prospect that maybe you don't even know helps you ever. Um, you, you have some hopes for him, but that's the beauty of depth in your prospect pool. If you have depth, you have assets. So we'll have to see uh, if Fletcher, maybe, you know, he's going to let things play out a little bit with this group and see where, what needs they have. Um, and then, and then maybe pull the trigger. He admitted in Minnesota, he was more of a gunslinger um, in his early days of general managing and he and he's learned to kind of um, he, he he said he's like, I'm not much of a gunslinger as I was in Minnesota or in my early days of general managing. So maybe he's yeah, he's probably, you know, understands the situation more. Uh, but I would not put something past him to, uh, you know, maybe pull the trigger on something big eventually. And hopefully if they do add a guy. It's a nice Anglo-Saxon name like John Smith that I can say and pronounce easily. <laughs> <laughs> It's always good when the name is simple and we can say it and we can write it easily. I always like an easy name to spell, so. I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. If you, I don't want all these V's whatever, and K's and apostrophes and, you know. If you, for whatever reason, write out 
uh, what was it, Laner Torzinski? <laughs> you guys if are you gonna for, know. If you guys, <laughs> thanks. If you, for hey, whatever, thanks, write that out. Just don't even send it to the editor. Just post it immediately, and in parentheses right after. Thanks, Jack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely gonna tweet it to you guys too and say thank you. Appreciate it. I just want to know if you just pause when you're about to type it and you go, wait a minute, that that friggin' guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I, I think we've come close to the end of the episode, guys. If if you have any last second questions that maybe we left off that you have for Jordan, uh you can ask them now. If not, forever hold your peace. Until next time. Alright, then no, we're done. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, had a ton of fun, so thanks for having me. And um, if I can ever join you guys again, I'd be happy to. And absolutely, uh, dude, whenever you want, for sure. Yeah, it was absolutely. an awesome episode. Yeah, for sure. And I look forward to listening in the future too. And hope the off season's treating you guys well. Hopefully, we'll have hockey, you know, next month, and guys will be hitting the ice. I, I know you're looking forward to it, and I am too. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. So hey, before we wrap up, where can people find you on Twitter if they have Twitter? Yeah, my Twitter is at jhallmbcs. Um, so you can follow me there. Uh, not, I'm not super crazy. Uh, I'm not a super crazy Twitter, uh, tweeter, but, uh, you know, I'll, I always tweet out my links and always tweet out. I try to tweet out some fun, informative stats and stuff like that. So, uh, you can follow me at J hall NBCS. And for the people who like my dad, who actually listens to the pod, I was talking to him today. I found that out for people who don't have Twitter, <laughs> where can they find your work? Uh, at NBC sports, Philadelphia, uh, NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. Uh, all my work is there. Um, so yeah, you can go to our Flyers page and, and and catch all my written work there. So uh, really appreciate you know you guys always following and reading, and uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we love your stuff, man. This was uh, for us. You were a huge get to come on the show, and we were excited to talk to you. And great episode. So thank you. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a good off season, and I'll be in touch. All right, man. We'll let you drop off. Take care, Jordan. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Jordan. Take care. All right. Jordan Hall, everybody. Awesome dude, man. Awesome, awesome interview. Very knowledgeable, very informative. What a guy. Tanner Lazinski. Tanner Lazinski. I look at you guys and I'm just like, I should just start talking about something else. No, it could never be more perfect. Lanner Tazinski. I do the same thing sometimes. It's just <laughs> I think the lame la- the now I'm saying the name Lanner is better than the name Tanner. It's so I think more original. Jack. I think you're helping him out a little bit. Lannister. Lanner Tazinski. You know, I deserve that, Jim, for throwing you under the bus with TK. Uh, I didn't want to say anything. I Actually, could tell. I- and he, that he had a up nice a little bit. long explanation. I'm looking at Jim the whole time, and he's just boinking. <laughs> he's just like, why, uh-huh. That's why I had to bring it up. I can <laughs> I'm the like, the I'm like Jim, are you all right? You're trying real hard not to say something here. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll, he's the guest. I'll, I'll let him get his point across, and then I'll just move to the next subject. I can but I, literally see the words going in one ear and out the other and out the window. <laughs> No, love Jordan, great guy. But everything he said was things that we we said on here about TK, and it was like, all right, this is what everybody's saying because it's you know what it is. Nobody really wants to bust his balls for 
really a two bad playoff series or three uh, three. Oh, can we get them fucking going again? Jesus. It's, yeah, anything that takes the spotlight off of me. But if like, you guys, I'll, I'll, if you guys like hear, I'll get on TK. Like, I, I don't have a problem. Score a goal. And if, if you guys want to hear Jim's opinion on TK and his playoffs, just listen to the last four or five episodes. <laughs> As the angry, We're probably losing negative. Now. Jim tour continues. Yeah. We dude, you started it. You got me going. I was gonna leave TK alone. I just said Jordan, would you like to chime in to our little conversation we've been oh, having yeah, for two yeah. months? <laughs> nah, that was fun. That was, I, I got a little spiced up. I'm like, you know what? My favorite part of the whole thing was watching you keep quiet. Squirm. He was fucking squirming. I he was see like, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, he's biting both his tongue and his lip right now. I can see it. <laughs> oh, That's why I apologize in chat. I was like, yeah, I might be fired after this. His gym is about to flip his table. <laughs> oh, I thought it was good. Uh, and I think, you know, Jordan did a nice job, uh, you know, with his retorts. But um, yeah, it was fun. I think it spiced things up a little bit. Fun episode. So before we go on too long here, I think we're like an hour, 15, hour and 20 minutes in. Let's wrap this up. And yeah, hopefully you guys are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, even Spotify if you want. Definitely download the Full Press Coverage app in your app store. Uh, give us a play on there. What else do we have? We we did the Manscaped commercial. Well, I was just going to say I had one thing. I oh. saw an optical illusion today. It was a building, and then there was another building. But the second building was covered in, like, trees. And the building without trees <laughs> looked a lot bigger. But they were actually the same size. Manscaped.com, promo code HWRadio, 20% off, free shipping. Tell them we sent you. <laughs> Yeah. Jack was watching porn from now and then porn from the 70s. And one looked bigger. <laughs> that guy must use the lawnmower 3.0. 3.0, new and improved. One thing Make your testies I can for their sure, besties. For sure, say about Manscaped is I don't have any nicks on my boss. I used it in the shower. I was a little scared at first, but it works. And it's fantastic. And that ball toner you were discussing earlier, Jim, has aloe in it. And you know something? It feels very nice. Very nice. It sure does. So make sure you guys head over to manscaped.com. Use HW at checkout. It's Jack mentioned. 20% off. Guys, what we really need is we need 10 people to use that code. And once we get the 10 people using that code, we we achieve long-term sponsorship with Manscaped. So help us out. You know, we enjoy what we do, and we hope that you guys enjoy it. Help us achieve a goal. One of our goals is to uh, achieve long-term sponsorship with a company like Manscaped. It would truly help us out a lot. So if you could, you know, head over there. And if you want to send us proof of your purchase, DM us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and we'll send you out a, a, an HW t-shirt for helping us out. So we're going to end this episode, boys and girls. We'll be back next week for season – I'm sorry, for episode nine of season three. That's going to wrap up episode eight. Thank you and good night.